On today's story session, they are sometimes helpful, sometimes horrifying, sometimes just confusing and mysterious. This is The Elves. My name is Zach Stewart, and these are the Shadow Bear Story Sessions. Welcome to the Shadow Bear Story Sessions, the podcast about how brutally dark and totally insane folk tales and fairy tales used to be, which in my opinion just made them way better and more entertaining. So I've got the most true to the original version of Grimm's fairy tales that I could find, and we are going through it front to back, story by story. We'll figure out the lessons that each story teaches, whether it means to or not. And at the end of each episode, I usually adapt the tale into a movie or TV show, but today... I'm going to do something a little different. So let's get right to it with today's tale, which is actually a collection of three very short stories collectively titled The Elves. We begin. So this first short story is titled About the Shoemaker for Whom They Did the Work. It's a bit clunky of a title, if you ask me. In any event, a shoemaker had become so poor that he didn't have enough leather left for a single pair of shoes. In the evening, he cut out the shoes that he planned to work on the next morning. I thought he didn't have enough leather for a pair of shoes. Yes, he, he's got enough just for this one last pair. However, when he got up the next day and was about to sit down to do his work, he saw the two shoes already finished and beautifully made standing on the table. Soon, a customer paid so well that the shoemaker could purchase enough leather for two pairs of shoes, which he cut out that evening. The next morning, when he once again wanted to sit down and work, they were already finished, just as the pair had been the other day. Now he was able to purchase enough leather for four pairs of shoes from the money he received from the two pairs, and so it went. Whatever he cut out in the evening was finished by morning, and soon he was a well-to-do man again. Now one evening, right before Christmas, he had cut out many shoes and wanted to go to bed. He said to his wife, We should stay up one time and see who does our work in the night. Up until this point, he never, never even crossed his mind how this might be happening. He's just, well, I guess why mess with a good thing, you know? Something's happening, and it's making you rich. Maybe don't ask a lot of questions. Well, that's actually probably, that that philosophy probably led to a lot of people being convicted for financial crimes, but we continue. So they lit a candle, hid themselves in the corner of the room behind the clothes that had been hung up there, and watched closely. At midnight, two cute little naked men came and sat down at the workbench, took all the cutout pieces of the shoes, and worked so swiftly and nimbly that the shoemaker could not take his eyes off them. Oh yeah, shoemaker, you couldn't take your eyes off them? And that, was, that was just because they were working so swiftly and nimbly, didn't have anything to do with the fact that they were full-on naked? Okay, okay, shoemaker, you tell yourself that. Indeed, they were incredibly fast, and he was amazed. They didn't stop until they had finished the work on all the shoes. Then they scampered away, and it wasn't even day yet. Now the shoemaker's wife said to him, The little men have made us rich, so we ought to show that we're grateful. I feel sorry for them running around without any clothes and freezing. 
I want to sew shirts, coats, jackets, and trousers for them, and you should make a pair of shoes for each one of them. The shoemaker agreed, and when everything was finished, they set all the things out in the evening. They wanted to see what the little men would do, and hid themselves again. Then the little ones appeared as usual at midnight. When they saw the clothes lying there, they seemed to be quite pleased. They put the clothes on extremely quickly, and when they were finished, they began to hop, jump, and dance. Finally, they danced right out the door and never returned. The end. Okay, well, there are a couple ways to take this. The cynical way to take it is that these people messed up by giving the elves clothes because they stopped doing the work for them after that. But I actually think this is a happy ending because the elves helped these people get back on their feet. Shoemaker's wife and the shoemaker, they showed their gratitude, which was right and, and kind of them, and the elves seemed very pleased with their clothes. The elves moved on. Now the shoemaker is back on his feet and can keep his business going. Everybody wins. Everybody wins. Also, the elves had principles, because they could have used the leather and the materials in the shop to make clothes for themselves at any time, but they didn't. They just did their work. I think that if the shoemaker had never repaid them, and had simply just tried to keep taking advantage of them, they probably would have turned on him. Because they're magic. They don't have to take the shoemaker's shit. They did him a favor. Clothes didn't fully repay how much they'd helped him, but they were, you know, a gesture of thanks, and rightly so. The elves had no obligation to return every night, but they did. So the shoemaker was right to give them thanks, show his appreciation, give them some cute little adorable clothes, and... Now, they, they part on good terms. So that's the lesson here, I think. If someone does you kindness or a favor, show them gratitude. Don't try to hold them back or contain them for your own benefit. Just be grateful. They are free to do as they please, so just be thankful that what they chose to do is help you. And, and I also do really like the image of the elves getting in the clothes and doing a little fashion show for each other. Just being like, we look fucking great. We don't need this shoe bullshit anymore. We are out of here. All right. We've got our second story here. And it is titled, About a Servant Girl Who Acted as Godmother. Again, it's kind of giving away the story a little bit, and also pretty clunky. We begin. A poor maiden was industrious and neat and swept the dirt from the door of a large house every day. One morning, she found a letter lying in front of the door, and since she couldn't read, she brought it to her employer's. The letter was an invitation to the maiden from the elves, who asked her to be godmother to one of their children. The maiden thought about this for a while, but after her employers convinced her that she shouldn't refuse the invitation, she said yes. Soon after, three elves came and led her to a hollow mountain. Everything was small there, and also incredibly dainty and splendid. The mother was lying on a black ebony bed with pearl knobs. The covers were embroidered with gold. The cradle was ivory. The bathtub was made of gold. The maiden performed her duties as godmother, and then wanted to depart right after doing this, but the elves asked her to remain with them for another three days. She spent those days with great joy, and when they were over, and she wanted to return home, they filled her pockets full of gold and led her back out of the mountain. And when she came to her home... She realized that it wasn't three days she had been gone, but one whole year. The end. 
pretty cool, that one. Nothing really bad happens. I mean, she may have lost her job cleaning the house and stuff because she basically left for a year. They didn't, they didn't know what the hell was going on. They probably thought the elves killed her. But ultimately, it's not really too bad, especially considering they filled her pockets full of gold. She probably doesn't even need that job anymore. And sure, she did miss a bunch of shit with her family and friends, but it's, it's only a year, and now she's pretty much set for life. I feel like that's worth it, right? And it only felt like three days to her. And it says she spent those days with great joy. So she had a great time, got super rich, and she didn't even age a full year. Worth it. I mean, if that was me, when I got back, I'd just be like, sorry I missed your birthday this year, I was helping an elf have a child. Oh, by the way, I'm an elf's godfather now. And I'm rich. Nobody could be mad about that. That's cool as hell. That's gotta come with some ongoing perks too, right? Being the godparent to an elf. It's pretty cool. You get to periodically hang out with these cool elves. Although there are dark implications, like the employers being like, you can't refuse this. So maybe she is kind of at their beck and call for any godmotherly duties for the rest of her life. Still, seems like they like her. Seems like she's on their good side. So pretty cool, having some elf friends in a, in a hollow mountain. But I feel like the lesson here is mostly just you know, work diligently, be respectful and kind, and you will ultimately be rewarded somehow. I mean, there's also a little bit of like, the reward might come in a surprising way and not in the form that you think. And there might be some weird stuff that comes along with it, like time jumps and, you know, fickle elves. But if you're open-minded and flexible, then it's worth it. And you can make it work. And ultimately, it's pretty damn cool. Pretty cool. All right, well, so far, the elves are being pretty nice to everybody. I thought old-timey elves were like vengeful sometimes. But here, they're just being super nice to everyone. But maybe that's because everyone has been nice and appreciative and respectful to them. So... Now we come to our third and final story this week, titled About a Woman Whose Child They Had Exchanged. Okay, this one could be a little darker. The elves had taken a mother's child from the cradle and replaced the baby with a changeling who had a fat head and glaring eyes and who would do nothing but eat and drink. Yeah, so the elves are not being nice anymore. I will point out that we aren't given a reason as to why they exchanged this child. I mean, I guess we have to assume that they're they're being assholes, but it's possible that the mom did something to upset the elves, or is just a bad person. Unanswered. No backstory here. In her distress, the mother went to her neighbor and asked her for advice. The neighbor told her to carry the changeling into the kitchen put him down on the hearth, light the fire, and boil water in two eggshells. That would cause the changeling to laugh, and when he laughed, he would lose his power. Okay, I'm not entirely following here. Also, what power? What's the changeling's power? It says that the changeling would do nothing but eat and drink. If that's power, then we literally all have that power. It's just a lump that eats. Which is basically a baby. And if it's a replacement baby changeling, then it basically just looks like a baby with a fat head and glaring eyes. So it can't really do anything to you. It's, it's, just, it's just a lump there. So just maybe, I don't know, don't feed it. It'll die. 
The elves already stole her baby. There's nothing you can do about that. But that doesn't mean that she now has to take care of this changeling. It's a little monster. Would it be worse if she let the changeling die? Like, would there be repercussions there? Also, let's be honest. All babies do anyway is eat and drink. Actually, babies also poop themselves all day long. So relatively speaking, you're only getting the eating and the drinking. You're not getting any of the pooping. Changeling is kind of better, relatively speaking. I mean, maybe if the see if the changeling ages, in which case, see what happens as the changeling gets older. I don't know. Babies can't do anything. What can the changeling do if it gets anyway? I'm getting distracted with this with this stuff. Let's let's move on. The woman did everything the neighbor said, and when she put the eggshells filled with water on the fire, the block-headed changeling said, Now I'm as old as the Westerwood, and in all my life I've never seen eggshells cooked as these have been. Not, not the best rhyme, changeling. Has the changeling been talking this whole time, too? Because babies can't talk. What has, Maybe she can talk to this changeling. Win it over. Get it to do some cool stuff. I don't know. What do changelings do? And the changeling had to laugh about this. And as soon as he laughed, a crowd of elves came all at once. They brought the right child with them, placed him down on the hearth, and carried off the changeling. The end. Okay, well, that worked out great. I mean, they said the changeling had to laugh about this. I don't know if it was that funny, but hey, worked out. They got the original kid back in addition to the changeling losing its power. Actually, did the changeling lose its power? Because the changeling seemed to stay the same. It didn't seem to lose any power. The elves just showed up, took it back, and gave the mom back her original kid. Didn't seem to lose any power there. It just got removed from the situation. But why would the elves even do this to begin with? Because I see no reason why they couldn't just keep the baby if they really wanted to. There are other stories of elves kidnapping and stealing people, and not even exchanging them with a changeling, just straight up taking people. But in this one, they do give a changeling... And the mom makes the changeling laugh, and the elves are like, Ah, alright, you got us. Well played, here's your kid back now. So, I don't know why they're, why they're doing this. Maybe the elves were just desperately trying to amuse this changeling for some reason. So they have to kidnap kids, and essentially hold the kids hostage until the people make the changeling laugh. So I don't know, maybe this changeling has some sort of power over the elves, and is using them for, for a comedy hostage situation. But it does beg the question, why is boiling water in eggshells funny? If I saw someone boiling water in eggshells, I wouldn't be like, ha, hilarious. I'd be like, what the hell is wrong with this person? I need to get them some help because they have clearly lost their mind. Or I'd think they were a witch and doing, doing some type of spell. But I guess this changeling finds this undeniably hilarious. And the neighbor knew it. They're like, don't, this is going to work. It's fucking hilarious. Boiling water in eggshells? He's, he's going to laugh. I don't know, maybe it's elf humor, and the neighbor just knows what elves and changelings think is funny. No, this is just old-timey jokes. Jokes hundreds of years ago were different. Things were hard. I guess boiling water in a funny way counted as comedy back then. But how did the neighbor know to do that? Because it seems like the neighbor didn't even hesitate. They weren't even like, well, if you can make the changeling laugh, they'll give the baby back. So figure out how to do that. The neighbor was just immediately like, 
Boil some water in eggshells. Works every time. How do they know this? Do they have experience with elves and changelings? Because if so, I want that to be the story. Why can't that be the focus of the story? As far as a lesson for this one, I'm going to go with, even if someone is evil, if you can make them laugh, you'll win them over. I don't know if that's what they were intending with this story, because this plot doesn't have a super logical progression, but that's what I'm going to go with. And so those are the three stories about the elves. I feel like the overarching lessons are, you don't know what people are capable of, so be upfront, don't fuck around with them, treat everyone with kindness, respect, gratitude, because life and people are fickle. So don't give anyone a reason to do you ill. And also, humor can be a great asset and tool in your favor. And also, personally, another lesson I'm going to take from these stories is do not fuck with elves. There are things in this world that are simply beyond our control and are completely unpredictable, so do not fuck with that shit. And in certain situations, in certain places in the world, you can just feel it. There's something else going on. And on that note, so in place of an adaptation this week, I'm actually going to do something a little different. I'm going to tell a personal story, and it is related to, uh, to the elves, to the subject matter. So a while back, I was in Iceland with my wife, and, and we went to see this particular waterfall. And there are waterfalls all over the place in Iceland, like literally just on the side of the road sometimes. But we wanted to see this particular one. So we drove two or three hours just deep into the country. But this was late February, early March, so it was still, it was still somewhat snowy and icy, and some of the roads were closed. So the road to go the last few kilometers to get to the waterfall was blocked. And so to get there, we'd have to park on the side of the road and essentially walk. And we saw another car parked there and figured someone else was doing the same thing, so we thought, sure, why not? And once we got out and started walking, things got difficult very quickly. It was sort of a rolling, hilly terrain, but the ground was very icy and slippery, so it was incredibly slow going. And about 30 minutes into the walk, a couple people passed us going the other direction. And so we figured that's who had parked there previously and whose car we saw. And they said that, yeah, the, the waterfall's up that way. They didn't tell us how far it was, though. And they had really intense gear as well, like spiky shoes, snow poles, heavy-duty coats, the whole deal. We did not have gear like this. We just had normal boots, normal coats, some snow layers on underneath, so we were keeping warm enough. But it was suitable for most hikes, but this terrain was not ideal. This was professional level, and we were bringing amateur equipment to the situation. So we kept going, and it always seemed like when we rounded the next hill, we'd be able to see where we were going, but this, this never happened. It just was more and more of the same, more and more rolling hills, and after about an hour of slow going, we were freezing cold, and it really didn't feel like we were making much progress, and we knew in another hour or so it would begin to get dark, and that's when things would get really bad. We, we, can't, we can't let it get dark, basically. We'd been told this numerous times, and we were out in the middle of nowhere, so we couldn't let it get dark. And we were honestly getting kind of delirious. And it was a very odd feeling, just being out in the middle of this, this open terrain. And so we decided it would be dangerous to keep going, and so we turned back. And we realized that when we'd been walking toward the waterfall, there were all these trails converging onto the trail that we were walking on, but that meant that when walking back the other way, all of these trails were diverging off from our trail. And the terrain is super hilly and covered in snow, and so essentially, all of the trails look the same. And we kept having to make decisions about which direction to go, and, and sometimes we disagreed on which direction to go, 
and all the while knowing it would soon be getting dark, and we can't see the road or our car or any building or person or anything. And those people we passed, they would have already gone back to their car and long gone. There was probably nobody anywhere close to us, within likely miles. When you're hiking in Iceland, some places that you go, there's there's literally nothing for miles in any direction. And we'd driven there, and we knew we were really in the middle of nowhere. And thankfully, it was a bright sunny day, but we were in southern Iceland, where apparently sandstorms can happen very quickly. And we were specifically warned about this from the place we rented our car from. It sounded super dangerous, and apparently it happens pretty commonly. So it was genuinely a very bad situation. Tourists get lost and die regularly in Iceland all the time. And so as we made our way back, and in what we hoped was the right direction, I randomly began to hear this high-pitched flute-like sort of noise. And it was nothing like wind whistling or anything like that. The whistling of wind, it rises and falls. It can change pitch, but it does it... It does it by sort of sliding up and down. Whereas this noise, it was it was an ongoing sequence of, of distinct, solid tones, like someone playing around on a flute. It was melodic. It was jumping from one note to another. Very different sound from what wind could create. It sounded like an instrument. And I stopped and I listened. And I was feeling a bit delirious by then. So I turned to my wife and I asked, do, do you hear that? Do you hear that noise as well? And she had an odd sort of look on her face. And she said, yeah, what? What is that? Where is that coming from? And so I said, well, it seems to be coming from over that hill over there, sort of in that general area, just this, because we were surrounded by hills. And so it seemed to be coming from one particular direction over a particular hill. And at this point, we really didn't know if we had gone down the right trails or if we were on the right path. We were just surrounded by snowy, icy hills that all kind of looked the same. So I was like, well, I thought the road was in this direction, but this noise makes me think maybe it's in that direction, and even if it's not the road in that direction, there's clearly something in that direction for this music to be coming from there. So if we go that way, and it's not the road, then it'll just be some building, some ranger building, something like that, and then they can point us in the right direction, and we won't be totally alone out in the middle of nowhere. And we had a conversation about it, and all the while, the, this flute noise is continuing. And we ultimately decide... You know, I really think the road is in this direction that we've been going. Let's just keep going that way. And so we did. And a few minutes later, the flute sound stopped. And my wife and I looked at each other like, I, I really hope we're right about this. And about a half hour after that, we crested a hill and, and saw our car up ahead and the road. And this huge wave of relief swept over us. And we got into our car and first we just looked at each other like that was a really bad idea to try to get out and walk. And we got very lucky that the weather stayed good. And we got back before dark and we managed to find our way back. And then we decided to drive a different route back than the one we took there. And this route immediately went up this, this really steep mountain with a bunch of switchbacks that overlooked the area that we had just been. The, the area that we had walked back to navigate. And now I was really curious about where the flute sound had come from. And so we drove up and we looked back over the area, and there was absolutely nothing. There was not a single building anywhere in sight, just white, snowy hills. I have no idea where this flute sound was coming from or what the source of it could have been. And we learned that in Iceland, they have their own sort of elf mythology. And they're not called elves, they're called huldefolk, or hidden people who live in nature in a sort of parallel world, and they often live in boulders and hills. 
And if we had followed the sound of the flute, like we'd been tempted to, we certainly would have gotten lost. We definitely would have gotten lost because it would have taken us completely off trail and just into straight empty hills with no trails. And we definitely would have gotten lost if we'd followed the sound of that flute. But who knows where we would have ended up. And the next day we went to this restaurant in Reykjavik that was owned by a friend of a friend. And we showed up and he was like, oh, I'm so glad to see you. I heard on the news about a tourist couple who died yesterday. And we were like, yeah, no, that wasn't us. Thankfully, we're, we're alive. But as we were having dinner, I thought about the fact that Hildefolk live in a parallel world. And I was like, did we actually go to Hildefolk Hidden World? And the flute was the sound of us passing over. And this is the Hildefolk's way of telling us that our previous selves died. And now we're in the Hidden World. So who knows? Maybe, maybe I passed through to the Hidden World with the sound of that flute. And now I only exist in the Hidden World. And the me that's doing this podcast is just a shadow of who I was before that day when I lost myself in the hills of Iceland. And that is where we will end this week's episode. No adaptation this week. Um, no, you know what? I, I won't do a whole one, but I'll do a premise. If, if I did do an adaptation of this collection of short elf stories, I would do a movie where we follow a bunch of people's interwoven individual stories in, in a town in the Middle Ages. It would be like Love Actually, except instead of each vignette being about each person's experience with love, it would be about each person's experience with these helpful, sometimes helpful, but also very fickle and vindictive elves. And that would work out really well, because like Love Actually, with the elves, sometimes it works out great, and there's a happy ending, and sometimes it goes bad, and there's a super dark, crazy ending. I would love to explore that further and get weird with it. Do an adaptation set in a single town where we just see a bunch of individual people's isolated experiences where they have run-ins with the elves. And so that will do it for this week's story session. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Come on back next week for a story titled The Robber Bridegroom. Come on back next week for that. My name is Zach Stewart, and these are the Shadow Bear Story Sessions. Thank you.